Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing on our fall sermon series through John's Gospel, and we've arrived at chapter 3. And chapter 3 contains two, at least back in the 60s and 70s, and in part maybe the 80s, very famous passages or sections of Scripture that one of them, at least, is still somewhat popular today. And you heard in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life or everlasting life. And many of you probably know that scripture. And the other one that was popular, at least in the 60s and part of the 70s, and then began to fall a little bit into disrepute for one reason or another in the 80s, is the phrase born again or born from above. But those were really, really famous back in the 60s and 70s. And, and people really actually had regard for them. But as our country has gone through a shift, a cultural shift, an attitudinal shift towards Christianity, both of those passages, both of those thoughts have really lost a sense of strength in our culture. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But Jesus explains, again, the power of the passage, born again or born from above, when he says, born of the Spirit. And that's really, back in the 60s and 70s, what I understood of that passage and what that passage meant to me. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him was an invitational passage. But see, what's happened over the years is that people looked at it and said, well, that's pretty exclusive, which is a negative word in our culture today. And that's why these passages have lost their power. Our culture has become so fickle. I think culture in many ways, maybe not as quickly, Although it can be, if you look down through history, pretty quick. But think how fickle our culture can be. How something can change in a week, a month, a year, a few years. How attitudes can change. Just look at, I don't know how many of you have ever watched reruns of shows in the 60s and 70s. Just look at some of the hairstyles and the clothing. And that will give you a hint. I used to have a leisure suit. I did. I would never wear one now. But I used to have one. I actually had a jumpsuit, too. A jeans jumpsuit. You know, just one piece. I was so cool. But it's amazing how things can change. Long hair, short hair, beards, no beards. 
And in many ways, almost, quote unquote, anything goes today. But I want to just point out during Jesus' day how fickle people could be back then. How on Palm Sunday, Jesus was hailed as a hero and possible Messiah. And on Good Friday, he was crucified. That's how quickly crowds can shift their opinion. And we see it in sports figures, entertainers, the political world. Over and over again. And that's what's happened in many ways to the phrase born again or born from above and the verse John 3.16. And it's not all culture's fault, I might add. Because I think if you saw what happened to the phrase born again, for example, there were people who were famous people in Hollywood, in politics, in sports, who claimed to be born again, and they weren't exactly good models for that phrase. And people who latched onto that phrase and then dumped it later. And people who were legalistic and judgmental. Instead of seeing the gift, and it's referred to as a gift over and over again, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. That when we really understand this gift is given by God because of His love, and when that love penetrates our hearts, how we are meant to overflow with this love. That when His grace is lavished upon us, how we are to become grace-filled people. And yet people go out into the world with a judgmental attitude, with a critical attitude, with a legalistic attitude, with people who just don't understand. They just don't. Because we're speaking a different language. And they need to have the model. They need to have the grace. They need to have the gospel. The phrase, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. We need to speak the truth. We can't hold back. Jesus didn't. But as Paul writes, speaking the truth in love, which is what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus was pretty bold with Nicodemus, if you think about it. He wasn't shy. I mean, this was one of the greatest men in Israel during his day. And Jesus is this itinerant rabbi early in his ministry. A poor carpenter and a carpenter's son. And he just happens to be in Jerusalem for the first year of his ministry. And we will get to what he says to him. Which could have been offensive, by the way. But remember, Jesus spoke the truth in love. And Jesus was not fearful. But let's talk first about Nicodemus. Or as I like to call it, Nick at night. 
Because Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Okay? Nicodemus, and you may or may not know this, he's called a leader of the Jews, he's called a Pharisee, but what his name means is really significant. Nicodemus' name means conqueror of the people. Now, who would name their kid conqueror of the people? Unless you were a well-positioned family, you had means, you had wealth, and you had plans for your kid to go somewhere. You cannot be a Pharisee unless you have position, education, and wealth. So the parents of Nicodemus had plans for Nicodemus. And that's probably why they called him the conqueror of the people. It's important to understand that. And then he's called a leader, so he arrived. He's part of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 most powerful people amongst the people of Israel. Millions of people, and he's in the top 70. And the reason he's called a leader is he is an expert in the law. And you don't get to that position unless you've been studying at least 50 and maybe 60 years. Because he's an expert in the law. He had to have studied the Talmud and the Mishnah, the oral tradition. Two and a half to three years alone just on the Sabbath laws. And then there's the sacrificial laws. If you can imagine, he was an expert in all of these. And he's a Pharisee. And you may or may not know this. Pharisee in Hebrew is the equivalent of calling someone a saint in the New Testament. It means holy one. He's a good guy. He's not one of the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in an afterlife. The Sadducees had saddled up next to the Romans. The Sadducees were worldly. This guy was religious. He was steeped in the law. He knew the whole of the Old Testament, probably by heart. And he knew all of the laws and all the nuances of the laws and all the interpretation of the laws. This was a good guy, sort of. And he comes to Jesus by night. Why? I have a thought. Some of you have heard me say this before. Because he's an elderly person, at least for that culture, he's at least 50, maybe 60s. Let me read to you when Jesus was 12 years old. When Jesus was 12 years old, his parents took him for the festival to Jerusalem. And then they both went back in different caravans, different families. And Jesus was left at the temple. And we read in Luke chapter 2, when, they, when the festival was ended, they started to return. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 46, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, at that point, there's a good chance that Nicodemus was probably in his 40s. And there's a good chance that Nicodemus was at the temple. And there's a chance 
that Nicodemus, 18 years later, said, I wonder if this is that same young man. The same young man that yesterday cleared the temple. And I wonder if Nicodemus was getting tired of the politics of the temple and the insincerity and the corruption and the greed. The money changers. And I wonder if when he saw Jesus overturning the tables, something in his heart stirred, something that he had 18 years ago. And I wonder if he thought to himself, I've got to talk to this guy. There's something different about this Jesus. There's a zeal there. The Spirit of God is on this guy. I've got to talk to him. He's different than my colleagues. But he had a reputation and a position to protect. So he couldn't go by day. So he went at night. It was safer that way. And so he began to ask Jesus questions. And what does Jesus ask him? What does Jesus say to him? You must be born again. That's really the impact of what he's saying. Which is why Nicodemus says, wait, are you telling me I have to go back up into my mother's womb? That makes no sense. I mean, you need to catch the impact of what he's saying. Nicodemus is tied into this world because everything about his mindset with the legalism and the law is this world. It's the same thing we're going to talk about next week with John 4. That people were so tied into this world with their faith. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You, a leader of the Jews, don't get the most basic, essential principle. That you have to be born from God, by the Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen by your manufacturing. You don't do it of your own strength, of your own will. This is not about you following the law. This is about God breaking into your heart and transforming you from the inside out. That's what this is about. Then you change. Then you follow God's way, God's will, God's law. Then you understand. That's why the Old Testament says... I don't want your sacrifices. I want a broken and contrite heart. Then you understand the sacrifice. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then you understand the law. And that's why Jesus says you have to be born from above first. First. And Nicodemus says, well, wait a second, I don't, I don't really get this. Amazing. So Jesus says, you have to be born of the water 
and the Spirit. What's that mean? You know what a lot of people's minds run to is water baptism. That it's not just the outward form. It's not just the ritual. It's not just the baptism itself. It's the inward reality. It's the faith. I've jokingly said before, if it's just about the baptism, if it's just about the water, I'd be better off standing on the, Pope of, the corner of Pope and Cordillo with a hose and just spraying everybody. It's about the faith. It's the reality of one's heart. A transformed mind and a transformed will. That's what it is. It's the water and the spirit breaking in, transforming you. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, a religious man, a good man. It's not about being religious. It's not about being good because we're all good in our own thoughts. It's about being transformed by God's Spirit. And then Jesus goes on to say something really interesting. The wind blows where the wind wills. Now that goes back to something that I said several weeks ago at the beginning of this series. That in Genesis 1, the Trinity is referred to. In the beginning, God, that's the Father, The wind moved over creation, that's the Holy Spirit, and God said, that's the Word of God, that's Jesus. I talked about that in the first sermons of this series. The wind of God. What about the wind of God being the Holy Spirit? That means that God can move where He wants, as He wants, invisibly, and we don't always understand how God operates and how God moves. The second thing is, the word wind, ruach, can also mean breath of God. And we see Jesus in the upper room. It says, and he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Same idea. It's that God-given life breathed into, like Adam and Eve, breathed into them to bring his spirit, to bring his peace, to bring his life and life eternal. The breath of God. Breathed into us. Invisibly. And by the way, it doesn't always happen the same way with everyone. Did you ever notice that? Why is it we always want to recreate how it happened to us and other people? We always want to do that. You know what you really need to do? You need to be like me. You need to do it my way. No, we're all different. We're all different. So God might not do it in you exactly like he does it like me. The common element, repentance. The common element, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that you believe and trust in him and give your life to him. The common element, being born anew or born again or born from above, however you want to say it. That's the common element. When it happens, how it happens, that's up to you and God. And it's by invitation. Everyone's invited. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's by invitation. No one excludes you. You exclude yourself by not believing in him. That's the only exclusion. Open to everyone. But people exclude themselves by saying, no, thank you. Not interested. Don't want to follow you. Don't want to believe in you. 
God so loved the world that he gave his son. We need a savior. Romans 3, the reading that you have before you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone needs a savior. Everyone needs to repent. That's why God sent his son for the world. Nicodemus slowly would understand this. If you see the unfolding of John's gospel, it's wonderful to see what happens. In John 7, he begins to get a little bolder. He speaks out to the Sanhedrin. Gets his wrist slapped, but he speaks out. He's willing to take a risk. John 19, when Jesus dies on the cross, he says, I'm going to take responsibility for the body. I'm going to do the burial rite. Cost him probably a lot of money. 100 pounds worth of of spices to bury Jesus. And my guess is when Jesus rose again, not only did he believe, legend tells us he became a missionary. Nicodemus was transformed. The Holy Spirit was stirring in his heart the first year of Jesus' ministry. And then slowly but surely, he was transformed. He was willing to risk. He was willing to step forward. And eventually it would cost him his position and his reputation amongst the Sanhedrin. Because he chose to follow Jesus. And then we have the thief on the cross. Completely opposite position. Not religious. Not a holy guy. It doesn't happen to the same people the same way. It's different in different people. But they both came and they both believed. That's the key. They were both transformed by the cross because they both realized they were sinners in need of a Savior. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Today is my youngest child's 28th birthday. My, I would never say it if he was here, my baby. Aaron is 28 today. And uh, what we have said about Aaron is he was the reward after the first two. Because he was so much easier. And it's funny because Meredith and I have talked about this on numerous occasions we thought we would have no problems because Meredith and I were both goody two-shoes. We were the good kids, the parent pleasers. We both gave our lives to the Lord early in our teenage years. So we really didn't cause problems. We both were volunteer youth ministers. And then I was involved in ministry. You know, I'm a pastor of a church. And we raised our kids in the church. We thought, we got this. And then there was Bethany and Daniel. 
Daniel who got arrested twice. And now he's defending your country. You can laugh. (laughs) He could have been a criminal, but he's a Green Beret. (laughs) It's amazing what the Lord does. But Aaron was the easy one. I think he watched the other two. He said, I'm not doing that. (laughs) But you know, the reality is all three at some point had to make their own decision for Christ. Independent of being raised by a pastor and a pastor's wife. Independent of being raised in the church. Not about being a good person. We taught them that. They got that. And they came to the Lord in different ways at different times. And now they're all walking with the Lord. That's what he wants. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what I want for those I know. And he just doesn't want decisions. He wants disciples. Because the invitation is, follow me. Follow me. That when you're really born again, it's a spiritual rebirth that starts from the inside and works itself out. And people start in different places. And some have a lot longer to go than other people. It doesn't matter. It's the starting point. You must be born again. Repent and believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to break into your heart. Let's pray. Lord God, it used to be popular in our country. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And being born again or born from above. And yet you do love the world. And you do invite everyone. It's why Jesus spread out his arms on the cross. But not all come to you. Not all believe in you. And some choose to exclude themselves for all eternity. Lord, I pray that each person here would know you as Savior and Lord, would have an open heart, would understand what it means to be born again, would understand the depth of your love on the cross, the power of your resurrection in their lives, and seek to follow you every day and be your disciple.
Lord, these verses that have fallen in their reputation, Lord, would gain reputation in our lives. That we might truly be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that we might be your witnesses for others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.